Hi, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Open House, a fresh, fun, and real podcast where I, Louise Rumble, invite you inside the therapy room with me to learn from some of the very best psychologists, therapists, and sex and intimacy coaches that I have found. No topic is off the table, no question too juicy, and no experience too shameful. At Open House, everyone is welcome. And we're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all because we believe that true happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. As ever, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and you should always seek professional medical help when necessary. Now, let's get into it and I'll see you on the other side. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Open House Podcast. Today, I have someone with me, oh, I've got goosebumps, that I've wanted to have on the podcast ever since I found her on social media, which was literally years ago. She is Stephanie Therapy. She's based in the UK over here with me, and she is an incredible therapist who specializes in childhood trauma, attachment, and parental wounding. She is absolutely amazing. Her content on TikTok and Instagram is so relatable, so authentic, and she is just an incredible woman. And everyone listening knows I love incredible women that are out there making change, doing good, and really just putting themselves out there. So so happy to have Stephanie here with me today. Now, I cannot believe that I have not done full episodes on the father wound and daddy issues yet because it is such an important thing in today's society. And I guarantee that you will have been shaped by your father in some capacity, whether it's positive or whether for many of us, it might have been limiting. Now, as with every episode, everything today is delivered with no shame, no judgment, both for ourselves and our experiences, but also for the father figures in our lives. I think it's taken me a very long time to be able to explore this father wound without doing so at the disrespect of my father. And I'm sure that's something that we're going to get into today. So where I'm at today is I can be so grateful for everything that he's given me and the way that he has shaped me, whilst also understanding his limitations and learning that I can't change them. We're going to be talking about the father wound more generally and also the signs of an emotionally unavailable parent because we throw these terms around all the time, you know, emotionally unavailable guy, emotionally unavailable father. But Stephanie is going to tell us what does that actually mean? Let's jump right in. Daddy issues, father wound. Are we talking all the same thing here? Is everyone sort of referring to the same thing with just a different label? Hi, Louise. Thank you so much for that lovely introduction. I'm so excited to be here. And as you said, the father wound is something that I think the reason we don't unpack it, the reason we tend to just push it to the side over other sorts of uh, traumas and wounds is because it is so big. It's so vast. And how it impacts us is, you know, it's something that we're so afraid of opening up, you know, opening up. And like you said, you touched on some people are really afraid of seeing the people that they love, that they care about, that they, who clothed them, fed them, supported them, nurtured them as these people who may have, you know, harmed them in a way. And how we have to look at it is our parents do not have to be monsters for us to have a father wound 
or our mother wound. You know, our, our parents do not have to be these bad people. And I think that's the first step in acknowledging this process, this arena, and, and looking at all of these different things. Once we get past that, we can click on this podcast and we can listen with self-compassion, with compassion for our fathers, rather than sitting there and saying, but my dad was great, my dad was great, and then still repeating those unhealthy cycles. So I just wanted to touch on that. And daddy issues, father wound, they have been put under the same bracket, but they are very different. And the reason we have to separate them is because one serves the patriarchy and one serves mental health. So father wound suggests that we are deficient or an absence of love from our parent, from our father. And that's not always factual. It can be perceived, a perceived deficiency of love from someone, whether it's intentional or not. It's the love that you didn't receive from him. Daddy issues tends to be sexualized. It's used a lot in porn. It's used a lot in programs, TV programs. It's this thing where we've been sort of labeled as daddy issues if we like an older man or if we have a certain sexual preference or if we like a man that is financially stable. Oh, she's got daddy issues. The focus always goes back to the woman. Instead of where did the man fail the child, it's always why can't the woman sustain the relationship? You know, why can't the woman keep the man in the home? Why is the woman single? Why is she a single parent? We never tend to focus over there because it's scary territory, isn't it? It is to even discuss men. We get mad when they discuss us, but we have to discuss them in a capacity of how has this man impacted who I love, how I love and how I see myself. Oh, I can already tell that this episode is going to be so good because you've already said so many things that I want to dig into. First of all, you're so right that daddy issues has this kind of like sexy, fun, naughty connotation to it, whereas the father wound really does not. And I do think it's really crazy that sometimes we don't look into these things enough. You know, we never really go back and see how did this become sexualized? How did this become normalized? And that's something that I'm really excited to get into with you today. And another thing that you said that already has sort of mind blown me is that the father wound can come from a perceived lack of love. And I think that that is one of the most important things about today's episode is that you can have a father wound, you can have daddy issues just through a perceived lack of something, whether that's emotions, affection, affection, affection. It's that perception of the child and how one child's perception might have been different to another child's perception, which even might be why children in the same family have different relationships with parents, not only because of the differences in their genetics and their biology, but also because of their individual perception. So I love that. Can't wait to talk more about that. But I want to tie back to the first point that you said around accepting compassionately that our parents don't have to be monsters for them to have shaped us. And I think it's that point around shaping us versus harming us that is such an interesting nuance and that I think we're going to dig into today. But I think that to the average person out there, if they have not experienced physical abuse or a deeply traumatic or abusive home or a very, very absent father, they probably don't see themselves as being harmed by their father figure in their life. And that's something I see so much still now when I put things out on TikTok. It's saying, you know, my dad never hugs me. We spend no quality time together. It's awkward when he hugs me. But I, I, I know that he hasn't really done anything intentional. So I think it's so interesting, this point of intentionality that we're going to dig into today, which is that actually these people will shape us far before 
we're ever aware that they are shaping us. And sometimes it will be intentional and sometimes it will not be intentional, but it doesn't really matter where the intentionality lies because if it has shaped us, it is now our story to hold. Because not only is it our story in the present, it also shows up in every single man or woman that we date or that we reject, even the types of people that we keep around us that we feel comfortable with. It's just very, very important that yes, your father figure maybe didn't do this intentionally and maybe he did, but maybe he didn't. But that doesn't matter. It's about actually something happened and today we are here with the responsibility of unpacking that so it doesn't determine the rest of our life. I think this ties back to the point of developmental trauma, which is, you know, a lot of this happens as we are developing. And I'd love to just ask you, what is developmental trauma? And I guess, how can the father wounds start all the way back before we're probably even consciously aware of it? The word trauma in terms of childhood trauma, it's not just what happened to you, it's also what you didn't receive. And also how you interpreted the situation emotionally. So The first nine years, eight to nine years, are your programming years. It's very scary being a child, Louise. Very scary. If you are hungry, you can't just go and buy yourself food or cook yourself a meal. If you are thirsty, you can't just go and make yourself a drink. You are a child. You are vulnerable. As much as we don't see that, we don't connect back to that because we feel so capable now as adults. We have to remember that we relied solely on our main caregivers. One, for emotional connection, and two, for survival. So you've got two biological responses at play. Now, what happens is when this person is meeting your physical needs and not your emotional, as a child, you're still going to try and connect back to that parent because you still need the physical needs to keep being met. I don't want to go too far on a tangent, but that's why we end up with a disorganized attachment because we run towards that loving person dying for a hug and then we stop because we know it's not safe because that person who makes us three meals a day might also be the person who ignores us or abuses us you you know so you're still getting one of the biological responses met so the first nine years eight to nine years are your programming years so people will ask well can something traumatic happen to me at 16 maybe my dad left when I was 15 could that have been traumatic yes But it would only be traumatic based on your previous experiences with your father. And I know you and I have already spoken about this, Louise, about Gabo Mate. So he speaks about PTSD. Now, the people who have had a certain experience in life, how they experience war, PTSD, their brains can interpret it very differently to someone who has already experienced a tough childhood. So it's our interpretation. I like to liken it to the English law system, English legal system, like case law. We don't just get a criminal in front of us and we say, you're a really bad person. We're going to just hit you with 50 years. The judge has to go to 1984 and say we had a similar case. 1973, we had a similar case. And that's how we make the judgment. Our emotional sort of setting and our emotional wisdom that we have, we do the same. Our brain goes to an earlier time. It goes, what did I last do when I felt like this? The last time I was scared, how did I respond? And again, at risk of using these words, interoception is how our body interprets data. When we are hungry, we get stomach pains. Our body interprets certain emotions and gives us the physical response. So if you can imagine, your body's going to do that with your emotions too. Anything that happens to you in those first nine years, you are in a theta brainwave. 
that's the same theta, you know, it's the same state that we're in when we meditate. You're downloading, it's like you're just pressing record. Anything that you see, you're going to absorb, you're going to interpret, and that's how you're going to make sense of the world. And then you connect your sense of self to the behaviors of your main caregivers, the people you love, the people you trust, because that's the only place you've got knowledge from. And that's why, you know, I always say the way someone who drowns in two feet of water is equally as dead as someone who drowns in 20 feet of water. I could have a client in the morning at 10 a.m. who never knew her father. Father walked out when she was three years of age. And then I could have another client at 1 p.m. whose father was physically there, worked hard, paid the mortgage. They had a nice car, a nice home, but emotionally he wasn't there either. They're both going to have a father wound and both of their trauma is equally valid. Yes, yes, yes. We were interpreting our emotions long before we were aware of them, which ties back to your case law point, which is that there would have been so many thousands of micro moments and major moments happening from the moment we were born that we don't even remember. And so many things like what love is, what affection is, what conflict looks like, what a relationship with a man looks like, what a relationship with a woman looks like. All of these things are defined so much earlier than we ever, ever realize. But there's so many people out there today thinking, no, I had a good dad. I had a good dad. My life was good because they're thinking just about the adult conscious memories, never actually thinking what happened when you cried? You know, what happened when dad was really busy at work and, you know, dad was providing the stress that dad had to provide for the family. So many other things often get ignored. Now, I'm also so happy that you referenced Gabor Mate because he has this quote which has just stuck with me so deeply since I heard it, which is essentially something on the basis of children are the most narcissistic of us all. And what he means by that is it's not intentional narcissism. It's not like a personality disorder. It's more just that when you are a child, you believe the world revolves around you because ultimately and arguably it does at the beginning. And then there will become a point when the conscious mind and the identity and the understanding of, oh, I am a, my own self and that's my mum and that's my dad kicks in. And then you start to realise that in those moments, actually not everything is about you because there will be times when you might cry and that person will be doing something and they will have to tend to the hob that's overflowing before they come and pick you up. Or it might be that the toddler's crying, but also the baby's crying. So, you know, the mum goes to the um, toddler and sorry, the mum goes to the baby and not the toddler. And this was so fascinating for me to understand that these small micro moments are essentially what can start to drive these attachment trauma pieces as well, of course, as the big attachment traumas that you've spoken about already. And I think that is just so important for people to understand that these can develop and it is repeated. It's not just one time that dad didn't pick you up. Like it is repeated patterns of behavior over time. But like Stephanie said, we're functioning in theta waves for the first X number of years of our lives. We're literally like a sponge. Like we take everything in. So say that every time you cry, dad's not there because he's at work and mum goes to the baby rather than you. You're maybe picking up this internal and subconscious belief that actually no one comes when you cry and you're not worthy of attention and affection and love, et cetera, et cetera. So I think this is such an important area to explore, like we were saying at the beginning, that 
a lot of people think, how can I have daddy issues? How can I have a father wound when my dad was a good man? He paid the bills, he paid the mortgage, he commuted every day to give us this life. There's so much guilt around that. The truth is, is that that's exactly what can happen during those formative years of your life. And finally, I love what you said around, you know, the analogy of drowning in two feet of water versus 20 feet, because what we're learning today is that trauma isn't the experience. Trauma is how the body responds to it. What I do want to touch on is that, again, like you said, it's so important because I know we're going to get to the partner stuff. We're going to get to the, you know, who am I attracted to? Why am I attracting these people? Something that always comes up for me, Louise, I know that there will be people listening to this going, oh, I'm going to mess my children up. Oh my God, you know, my, my child's already going to be damaged. You know, I, I've got a 10 year old and look what they've seen, you know, and I don't want people to carry that guilt because like you said, it's not the experience you're giving them, it's how they interpreted it. And that's why communication and self-compassion is so important. I have clients who suffer with depression, anxiety, and they'll say, some days I spend, you know, just in bed, in the darkness, is this impacting my child? And I always say, it's okay for you to do that. But as long as the child knows it's not because of them. And that's what we needed. You know, mommy can't come to you right now because she's busy. It's having those healthy boundaries with our children. And I do get people who ask me all of the time, I can't have a father wound because my dad was amazing. But then he may have been a really bad partner to mum. So there's a conflict there as well. What about dads who were abusive to mum? Physically, emotionally abusive, abandoned her and left her to parent. But they were incredible fathers. We get that. We also get fathers who abandoned us and were very affectionate with mum, very loving towards mum. Equally, we can have a father wound. And that's what we have to explore. And I know that's going to be in the second episode. But it's like you said, what we interpreted from those first years, that's now your blueprint. That's your programming. I think this is the other part of daddy issues. And I know we're not supposed to be using that word, but you know, the father wound that is also so overlooked that I was watching this Tony Robbins documentary. And if anyone's watched it, they'll know probably exactly what I'm about to say here. And basically this girl was in the audience and was crying about how she could never find a man and no one ever you know, treats her well enough, et cetera, et cetera. And it was actually the flip side of what we've been speaking about so far, which was that actually her dad was such a good dad that no one else that she had ever dated since could ever live up to that almost like romanticized and fantasized potential of the father. And I thought, you know, well, what I actually thought was like, can't, can't relate. Like, that's definitely not a problem that I have struggled with. But, you know, fair play to her that she's had such... An incredible, affectionate, loving, trusting relationship um, with her father. Bless you. Sorry, Dad, if you're listening. I, I do love you. But I just think it's, yeah, it just builds on on exactly what you're saying there is that we are just formed by our interactions, positive and negative, and they really do go on to develop how we attract to, to men um, and male figures in our life later in life. So I love that. Now, I'd love to talk about the emotional rejection piece, the emotional abandonment piece. And I think this is something that I feel most passionate about because like we said, you can have a great dad by him putting food on the table, by him being there, by him taking you on holiday, by him driving you to ballet, cricket, you know, whatever it is. But something that I've really learned about a lot recently is how Essentially, emotional neglect is very much overlooked. And emotional neglect, we think of, you know, 
the the poor babies and the children like that are left and they're abused and they're locked at home and they're not given any food. Now, of course, that is part of emotional neglect. I guess it's also physical neglect. But really what I've learned is that emotional abandonment is actually on this sliding scale. Now, my own personal experience with my father is that he is on the spectrum. And it's something that I never really understood how it impacted me until even recently, very recently, like in the last two weeks, my mum asked him a question about something and she said, how does that make you feel? And he responded and he said, I can't answer that question. I just had this, like I had this crazy wake-up call where 30 years later, I realized, oh my goodness, if my lovely father can't answer a question about how something makes him feel, how could he ever have had those conversations? Yeah, I know. And everyone that isn't watching on video, Stephanie's like got her hand on her chest. You know, how can it, how could he ever have held space to do that with me? And, you know, he didn't. I have no memories of ever talking with my father about how I feel or crying in front of him. And so surprise, surprise, I've grown up into a hyper-masculine, no, not hyper-masculine, hyper-independent, comfortable in her masculine energy provider. And we're going to get into that in part two of today's episode where things are going to get, yeah, real real juicy. But I, I just think that this, this piece around emotional abandonment is so important. And I'd love it if you could just tell um, everyone listening, you know, what is that? How can it show up in practice? And I guess, how can it really, really form you as a person, sometimes without you even realising? Well, firstly, Louise, I mean, thank you for you always being vulnerable, you know, and, and sharing your experience, because I know a lot of people that listen can relate to that and and will stop and think, how big is my dad's capacity to love? How aware is he of himself? And because of the journey that you've been on and because of the work that you're doing and because you've been in therapy and, and you provide this content to people, you have had a moment where you recognized he can't even answer that question. He can't even identify how he feels. But a lot of people who aren't as far along in, in their journey as you are wouldn't even have that recognition. They'd miss that moment. That moment would be wasted on them, you know? And even dad having the recognition of, I don't know how I feel. A lot of people don't know how to articulate that. And so emotional unavailability or the absence of emotional sort of intelligence within a father, we have on a day-to-day basis as children, you know, and we have to see ourselves as children. I know you, we spoke about mothers listening in, but if the women that are listening in now, instead of seeing yourself as a mother, see yourself as a child when you're listening to these things and, and in these processes. If you see yourself as the child, your daily needs were to be seen, heard, and validated. And your trauma lens was based on what was given in that day from the parents that you were around. And, you know, again, socially, we placed the the pressure on the, the mother to care and love and give all of these things to our children and meet the needs. And the dad tends to meet the financial needs, physical needs. You know, I know a lot of women work extremely hard and whatever, but we do place that pressure on men. And so that child trying to be seen, heard and validated, that child's repeatedly going to go to mum. Now that child also has the experience of themselves. How does my father make me feel about myself? My father loves that I play piano. 
but my father hates it when I make noise. So where can I connect here? Where can I get close to him? Now, if this man hasn't been shown how to identify his emotions or he's on the spectrum or he suffers with mental health problems or he's neurodivergent, the world is not set up for people who suffer in that way. It's not. We have nine to five jobs. We sit in traffic all day. We do the school run. Those things are not set up for people who are neurodivergent or who suffer with their mental health. And so we then have a father who is constantly finding ways to escape. Now, if he can escape his children by still loving them, by providing for them, he's not a complete failure socially. He's not a complete failure in his family. But what you do have is an immature brain. Now, the child that is trying to be seen, heard, validated needs regulation. They don't have a brain, to the brain to regulate, self-regulate. So the child is looking at the parent to regulate. Now, that parent can't regulate the child because they don't even know how to regulate themselves. So the cycle repeats. You've got two people here who can't regulate. So guess what happens? You've got a household of anger, stress. And then again, mom, make me feel better. That's their learned behaviors. But what happens for us as daughters, Louise, just thinking about, you know, people, women with a father wound. I know there will be men listening too. Women with a father wound, we tend to desire that connection with dad so badly because mom's already there meeting those needs. We desire that connection so bad that we take on masculine traits. We start to take on traits that he has. We see him working hard. I'm going to work hard. We see him up early hours, 5 a.m., getting ready. I'm going to do that too because this is where I connect because our trauma lens has told us that's how I'm going to secure the love that I need from dad. If you are constantly in your masculine, you're always motivating yourself or progressing through criticism. If you are using a feminine energy, you can motivate yourself with kindness. And that's why we have hyper-functioning women, women who are constantly on the go, overachieving. She's still trying to connect back to dad, even if dad was in the home. Oh, my dad was there. Why would I be trying to connect back to him? Because your experience inside was always, where is dad? Why isn't he here? And that's why we start to motivate ourselves with criticism. And the reason we don't like to sit and ask why it's because that question's always been asked of us. Why can't you be better? Why? Are, because we've internalized it. And so even sitting here now, people listening, they're going to go, what can I do? Why, why am I this way? Why was my dad this way? That's an uncomfortable place to be in because we've already been there. And no one wants to feel the, the repetition of that and the uncomfortable feelings that come with that. On top of that, with your trauma lens, you have your ego. Now, your ego is developing during these early years and that becomes part of your shadow self. Your shadow self is everything you push down that doesn't feel nice for you. Why are you so loud all the time? Why aren't you as smart as your sister? I wish you could tidy your room. Your brother always tidies his room. Why can't you help your mum up? Why, 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 why? Why did you do that? Why did you break that? Why did you misbehave? Why can't you be better? When we're constantly hearing that, what tends to happen is it creates two people Louise, the person who reflects it back and says, this feels uncomfortable, I don't want that, and throws it at other people and blames them. And then we have the people who internalize it and reflect it back within and they go, what have I done? So we have two types of women in society with a father wound going, what's wrong with me? Why am I not lovable? And other people going, I don't need anyone. 
it's you, you're the problem. And that's how we can separate that in a simpler way. When we do have problems, mental health problems, I don't want anyone listening to this thinking that they were severely neglected. There will be people listening who were severely neglected. But for those who, you know, love their parents deeply, love their fathers deeply, remember that he wasn't avoiding you. He was avoiding something within himself, you know, that the connection that he wasn't given perhaps by his parents. And that's why it's so important. Now, our parents didn't have these podcasts, Louise. Our, our fathers didn't have access to social media. And that's why it's for us to break the cycle. And exactly what you've done, where you said, Dad, I know what you have. The I, I know how much you can give me. I know how much you can love me. But I'm going to go reparent myself. I'm going to give myself the things that you were unable to give me. Again, there's just so much that you said there that I'm like, <laughs> I feel seen, I feel seen, I feel seen. Like, you know, the hypercritical, the overachieving, the hyperfunctioning, all of that. Um, and the obsession with work. I mean, I have been obsessed with work for, for as long as I can remember. And I think what is so fascinating for me is that that is still the key way that I connect with my father. Now, of course, I have limitations in my family unit, which is that it's almost impossible for me to develop and nurture a deeper emotional connection with my father. But that means that that's how we connect. We discuss my business, we discuss open house, we discuss X, Y, Z. So I think it's fascinating how you explained that that can become like a point of contact and reference. And I also love what you said around asking, you know, how how did we get here? Because often we just look at us and our father. We, we keep it just there. Me and dad, me and dad, me and dad. But actually what was very healing for me was taking it back a generation. And like you said, talking about generational trauma and essentially intergenerational cycles that just keep repeating until we are the ones that break them, which is what we're here doing together. And everyone listening is, is doing that as well. So, you know, absolute kudos and so much love to anyone that's, that's listening to this and joining us on this journey. But when I went into my dad's childhood, um, and, you know, I don't, I don't have permission to share these stories, so I'll just keep it very light. But he went through a lot of trauma as a child. He lost his dad very young. He was sent off to boarding school. He was a twin. Um, you know, there was a lot for his mother to handle. There was a lot of trauma. There was loss. There was abandonment. There was, um, yeah, you know, I went to boarding school and I loved it. But for the vast majority of people being sent to boarding school at eight years old, nowhere near home, it's a critical point of development in a child's life. So yeah, I guess my point here is, is just to say that understanding that helped me understand more how this developed. But it didn't, or it doesn't take the pain away. It doesn't fill the hole that I have. It's not like, oh, I can understand why this developed. Oh, I feel better. So if people listening feel the same way, like, yeah, I understand why dad's like that. It's okay if it doesn't make you feel better. It's just like a, almost the point of understanding is the first point. And then like Stephanie said, the reparenting is really the solution to making yourself feel better. And I'm sure we'll come into that towards the end of the episode. But I also wanted to talk to you about this, how emotional availability can kind of be broken down into four categories. And there's been this research on that, because I think this is a fascinating way for people to understand like, oh, yeah, dad actually fits in that section, not that section. And another thing that I found was incredibly interesting was learning that, you know, parents can be assessed essentially for how emotionally available they are on this spectrum. Okay, so 
It's looked at their sensitivity. So what behaviours and emotions does the parent, you know, I guess do, that's not the right word, that creates a positive emotional connection. So sensitivity and positive emotional connection is the first thing that I was able to reflect. Like, okay, was my dad sensitive? What behaviours and emotions did he give me that created a positive emotional connection? And like Stephanie said, yes, there will be some, but there also will be some that weren't there. Now, the second point is their structuring. So how did your parent or your father support your learning, your understanding and your personal growth? I think that's a really good question to sort of reflect on. And sometimes it's really difficult. Like I don't have many childhood memories at all, if I'm honest. And I'm sure Stephanie will have um, thoughts on why that is, because it's, it's quite interesting how trauma can impact the brain in, in the younger years. But yeah, just also, you know, if that's you and you're thinking, ah, oh, I don't really have any memories, you know, we'll, we'll get into why that is. But the third and fourth categories are their non-intrusiveness. So did your father allow you to be independent? And what spectrum or scale was that on? Some fathers might have not allowed any independence and have been highly intrusive, or they may have allowed all independence. I don't care, do whatever you want, and been the opposite of intrusive. And that's, of course, going to define and develop the way that you show up with men later in life. And the final one is, you know, you can reflect on how hostile a parent was. So were they able to regulate their expression of negative emotions? Now, for me, my father is, he would not hurt a fly. He does not raise his voice. He has never shouted. So for me, he regulated that expression very well because obviously he found it very difficult to connect with those emotions. But for other people, it might be that their father did not regulate that expression well. So you might have been around, like Stephanie said, a more um, angry or volatile caregiver in conflict or communication, which ultimately might lead you to thinking that that is normal. That's a normal part of love in adulthood, which it's not, but it's about bringing that self-awareness to it. So I just love those four questions that Stephanie and I were talking about before this episode. Just if you want to start to reflect on your father wound, they're quite interesting places to start because that's almost like an emotional availability assessment. And you know, what Stephanie's taught me is that there's actually four scoring categories for emotional availability. And this for me was fascinating. So I'm going to let Stephanie explain those to you. And as you're listening, it might help you to categorize your parent into one of those categories. Thank you, Louise. And also, I just want to touch on what you just said. It was great how you broke those down. Like you said, sensitivity, structuring, the intrusiveness, the, the hostility, because what we have to remember is that we had our instincts growing up. We've always had that. That's the biggest thing that you have, your gut instinct. Now, even if your father was angry, Louise, and he suppressed it because he didn't know how to articulate it or he didn't know how to put it out there in a healthy way, you would have known that dad was angry. Now, we can pick up on these little signals as children. So say you come home from school and you see a wine glass on the side and you know that mum and dad don't drink very often. And you say... Mom, is everything okay? And she says, everything's fine, Louise. Where's dad? Oh, he's just having a, a nap. He's having a lie down. Now, dad could have lost his job. Dad could have fallen out with a colleague. Dad could have, you know, had a really, really tough day and he came home from work early. Your instincts have told you there's something wrong here. Now, the parent hasn't validated the person that you trust and rely on for emotional support and regulation you're now feeling the stress, you're seeing the white, you're, you're piecing things together, which is what we tend to do in relationships. We build a narrative, we build a story. So you've built a narrative. 
and the person that you trust for their for their opinion and their voice has told you that everything's fine. Now that was the first time you were taught to not trust your instincts. And that becomes a pattern of trying to build a secure story in life and then discrediting yourself. I'm silly. I, I can't listen to my own body. And that's why we end up in situations that can be quite detrimental to us. Or we can build a picture of our parents that isn't true. Um, and I know you spoke earlier, Louise, and about sort of parents who have been amazing dads. And we want that from a partner. That fantasy bonding, that save me hero. Sometimes that narrative comes from building a story that felt safer and pushing away the pain because the pain felt so uncomfortable. But going on to, to what you just said about the four um, areas of emotional ability, the assessment scores, what we tend to look at if you did have a healthy parent. And I, I have to make people aware there is no such thing as a perfect parent. You know, even the therapists out there that are listening to this, and I'm sure the people, the experts you've had on here already will tell you this. And so when we look at this assessment, we have to remember that no one is perfect. But the four sort of categories are emotionally available. How connected to your child are you? How attuned are you to their emotions? Do you know when your child's upset? Do you know when something's wrong at school? Are you able to read your child's emotions or are you able to exhibit healthy coping skills when you are interacting with your child? Second, we look at the complicated bracket, the parent being warm and positive, but also inconsistently tuned into their child they may show signs of immaturity they may at times be dishonest they may think that they are doing a great job but at times the child is witness bearing witness to them being inauthentic not having boundaries especially in their own relationships detached is the parent distant cool are they cold towards the child when the child's upset how do they respond um how well do they meet that that child's sort of emotional needs in terms of are you a, a safe place for that child when that child's upset and then looking to see if the relationship is problematic or disturbed and that is when the parent just lacks the basic ability to care for a child you know there may be signs of hostility blame whenever the parent's angry they take it out on the child it's constant outward abusive behavior and that's what we look for when we look for emotional availability it's so fascinating, isn't it, to understand how everyone is just shaped so greatly because the reality is the way we cope with the father wound is it, it shapes our personality. It's not like a coping mechanism. Oh, I'm just going to have a glass of wine or, you know, do this, smoke a cigarette in terms of a short-term coping mechanism. It almost becomes these protective coping mechanisms that define our personality. And I think that you know, as we come to wrap up this episode, one thing that's really coming out from me over the episode as a whole is this point of communication. And there have been so many times when you've said things, maybe your dad said this, maybe your dad said that. And I just thought to myself like, no, he didn't. You know, the communication was was very limited and the communication around how do you feel about that? Like he was amazing at asking me, how was your day at school? Who are your top five friends? You know, really fun questions. But the how do you feel questions were questions that did not exist in my childhood. And, you know, I'm very, very close with my mum and we speak about it often. I, I say, you know, we just didn't ever have those, those conversations. So I think, I guess what I want to say is this communication piece is fascinating, not only for us to look back and say, what did we not communicate about 
in our family or in my childhood. But also, like you said, for the mothers and for the mums and for the dads that are listening, how can you communicate with your child in every moment that you can to avoid these situations developing? And I think that's fascinating. And I guess let's just wrap up with, and I'm sure you could do 500 episodes on this, but let's just wrap up with this concept of reparenting. Reparenting is the solution to this. And I know that lots of people want to know, how do you do it? How do you fix it? And it's a very long and loving journey and and hard journey too. But I'd love it if we could just end today's episode with a bit of an overview of what is reparenting and how can someone with this type of father wound look to step forward into a place of healing and self-work? Thank you, Louise. And, and this is the thing, you know, as you've just touched on, you know, your your experience sometimes is going to be based on conversations that you've had. And we've got versions of dad from how mum dealt with dad. Have you always heard mum saying, your dad stresses me out. I wish your dad would help around the house more. You know, or even, you know, a dad that's left. I think, you know, in 2019, 76% of households were fatherless in the UK. So we have to look at this and go, how was mum's interpretation of dad? How did that impact me? And separate that from your own experience firstly. And, and say, how did I feel about him? What was my experience growing up? Because we do tend to create those similar experiences through trauma reenactment. We look for a situation that is going to be similar. Look at your life, dissect your relationships. Like I said to you earlier, Louise, you know, your demographic, I have a lot of women now in the 30s, 40s. We were the first generation of children who were born to parents who were allowed to be more of themselves. The 80s and 90s, women were going out more, partying. There were single parent families. The family home had actually broken down at this point. So we are now the first generation, 80s and 90s children, that are dealing with the consequences of the home breaking down. Does that make sense? So we have to be aware of what we're carrying for ourselves. We have a big treasure chest. What is mine? What is mum's? And what is everyone else's opinion? Our grandparents, our friends, whatever. And then when when we're sitting here with that and, and we sit with that part of our lives and we say, how did I feel about him? Where did he show up for me? That's when we can start the act of reparenting. And reparenting is giving yourself back the things that you didn't have back then. We know that dad isn't miraculously going to change overnight. And if your father was absent completely physically, we know that he's not going to be able to show up and give you those things. So if we just hold on to that, then we would never heal. We would never grow. We have to be aware of our capacity and how we can heal. And so this is why meeting your own needs becomes so important. If you didn't have much discipline in your life from your dad, you know, there were no regular bedtimes and no um, no bath times, no story times. Maybe you get into bed at night at 10 p.m., you turn your devices off and you read 10 pages of a book and that becomes a discipline for you. If you never had nourishing meals growing up, one for me, Louise, is that we were never given breakfast. Our house was always a rush growing up. We were never given breakfast. And so now breakfast for me is super important to me and to my daughter. I make sure it's a time where we communicate. We set ourselves up for the day. And I give myself something nourishing and nurturing because that makes my inner child feel seen, heard and validated. So whatever your experiences were, what you were lacking, what you weren't given. If in your house, you had to wear hand-me-down clothes. You never had new clothes. Go and buy yourself a new pair of shoes. Go and buy yourself something nice. Reparenting is giving yourself the things that we know they can't give to us now, but we can give to ourselves. And that builds on going on to the next episode, 
on your emotional availability. How emotionally available am I to myself, firstly? And then how can I give that to other people? And how can I attract that into my life? Because I know you've touched on this in other podcasts, Louise, and on your TikToks. If we are attracting emotionally unavailable people, it's because there is a part of us that is emotionally unavailable. There's a part of us that's still not meeting our own needs. The part of us that's still running from our shadow self. Look at your shadow self. Journal prompts. Journal on shadow work. What am I most ashamed of? What am I hiding from the most? What am I afraid that people will find out about me? That's the stuff we really need to process because if we can practice self-compassion there, we're going to be able to break the cycle in an easier way. And not just that, if you are a parent and you want to help your own children to not continue in those sort of footsteps of your father and your grandfather, print off a feelings chart, you know, the feelings wheel, get it on the fridge, give everyone in your house a highlighter and you're going to have your primary emotions, I'm angry. But underneath underneath that, you feel frustrated. Why are you frustrated? Because I'm lonely. Go and mark it. You don't even have to articulate it. But if you can go and see that your child's highlighter has been marked, you know that today they're feeling a bit lonely, go and give them a cuddle if you can. Or if you're feeling lonely, have a FaceTime with a friend. It's all about finding out what their feeling is first before you get to that point of articulating it. And it is a journey. We've got places like this where we can be ourselves and we can normalize it and therapy is great you know I I love working with women who have father wounds and and seeing that realization and breaking down those those barriers and those walls that we've put up in order to to be stronger and to be more like dad you know you can have that balance oh my goodness I felt so emotional when you were talking there like I just could imagine my little Louise like going up to the fridge and highlighting like I'm lonely like that makes still makes me feel so uncomfortable, like the thought of doing that because it was so unfamiliar to me. And that's so sad, isn't it? So sad that as a child, I couldn't say I feel lonely or I couldn't communicate that because maybe I wasn't even taught how to connect inwards with that feeling. So I think that is such a beautiful idea and the perfect place to wrap up this part of the episode. And Stephanie, I I cannot thank you enough. You are full of wisdom and compassion and oh, just so much knowledge. You've covered so many things today here that are so important because sometimes people jump on the father wound and they jump on daddy issues and they don't go through the nuances that you've gone through today. So I am so, so grateful for your time. And I cannot wait for the next part of this episode where we discuss how all of these things, all of these things that shaped you in childhood drive your romantic relationships. So Stephanie, thank you so much. Thank you, Louise. And thank you for having me and giving me this space to share this knowledge. I hope everyone receives it with compassion.